Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon. The amazing spider-talk, the amazing spider-talk, come swing through the air, sit back and prepare for the Hello, I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdin, and I'm the founder and editor of AmazingSpiderTalk.com. And I'm mischievous Mark Chinacchio, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us for a special episode of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe or the comic multiverse the week that this is coming out in a bit of a bigger picture. Oh, I see what you did there, Dan. I like it. I like it a lot. Also, Dan, this is uh, we're gonna wish everyone a happy holidays. Uh, as has kind of become a tradition in these parts, uh, this is going to be a kind of commemorative year end ho ho happy holiday episode. We're gonna be with a lot going on in the year 2018 related to Spider Man, uh, especially related to like Stanley's passing and the soon to start season three of our show, what we thought we were going to do uh, for this episode was do a little bit of a top 10 list all about Stan Lee. Specifically, what were the very best issues of Spider-Man that Stan Lee wrote? Um, but before we get to the list, uh, why don't we talk a little bit about the criteria, Dan? You know, we, we got to have some qualifications, <laughs> right? We got to have rules. It is amazing spider talk. The rules come first and foremost. Exactly. We play by the rules. <laughs> so, Mark, like, first thing we wanted to say, because you and I were talking about this, there's a lot of kind of murkiness between what did Stan, you know, do and not do on any of these books. You know, like we've talked about it on our shows. Did Steve Ditko kind of plot some of these things? We wanted to make sure that the issues that we were highlighting really showcased Stan's work. And we're going to kind of put an emphasis on how much – the Stan contribution really made these books sing. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, and, you know, in terms of what we consider a Stan book, um, that is really, it's any Spider-Man story where Stan Lee shared either a writer uh, or script credit or a plotter, co-plotter credit for. So, I mean, you know, for the most part, that is every issue that he did with Steve Ditko, so ASMs 1 through 38 and the first two annuals, it's all of the issues he did with John Romita. Again, yes, we could talk about, well, well, how much was pl- was from the plotting of Ditko, but, but the thing is, if Stan Lee's name is on the comic book as, as a writer, a plotter, it is a Stan Lee book by our criteria. Is that a fair uh, assessment, Dan? Yeah, I think so. And then we have a couple of additional criteria that we're looking at. You know, we're going to look at the historical impact, like how much did it change Spider-Man the character? How much did it change Spider-Man the comics? You know, formats, all kinds of things. Where is he really pushing the medium forward? 
Yeah, and and we're also obviously. I mean, this is a list for fun, Dan. I mean, we don't really. I don't think we tabulated points per se. So, I mean, obviously, the overall enjoyment and the execution of the story is going to play a huge factor too. I mean, you know, like I don't think any of the stories here that we're about to talk about are going to surprise anyone because these are these are stories that everyone loves, you know. But like, we're going to rank them. That's going to make it different, I guess. <laughs> and and stories we've talked about on the show uh, uh, many times. Right. Um, although, speaking of which, the first, we're going to work our way up from 10 to 1. Number 10 on the list is one that I think falls into the latter criteria we just talked about, which is like fun, but also that we've really never talked in great detail about on the show. Mark, what is our number 10? Because this is a you pick. <laughs> if there ever was one. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and actually, you know, I think, I think moviegoers are probably going to learn a little bit about this story to a degree or at least get some references to it uh, when Spider-Man Far From Home comes out this summer if some of the uh, the set pieces that we've seen uh, play out. But yeah, Dan, I, I, I guess we can call this a little bit of a guilty pleasure comic uh, of mine. It is Amazing Spider-Man's number 66 and 67, also known as The Madness of Mysterio. I mean, I... Mysterio was involved in a lot of really crazy storylines during the Stan Lee era. I think Stan had a lot of fun with Mysterio as a character, as kind of this, you know, failed special effects artist who just liked to mess with Spider-Man's mind. Um, I mean, there's a really great uh, issue early on in the Ditko Lee run where uh, Mysterio is posing as uh, a shrink and he almost gets uh, Spider-Man to reveal his identity. I mean, that's fun. But this one, uh, this kind of comes in the heart of the Stan Lee, John Romita run. It's it's, uh, playing with um, the idea of Stan, of, of Spider-Man or Peter has just started to really date Gwen Stacy. And like, just as this all is happening, I mean, he like survived getting his, his, uh, losing his memory, having amnesia with Doc Ock. And then he's, you know, he gets back and then all of a sudden Mysterio basically kidnaps him and, and through the use of tricks and special effects convinces Spider-Man, uh, that he has been miniaturized and he's in this like amusement park death trap. Uh, down at Coney Island. And it's just a lot of fun. It's very visually creative. Uh, it's, you know, a lot of hokey stand kind of plot devices and, and tricks and, and whatnot. I, to me, it's my favorite Mysterio story, Dan. And I, I think it's, it is for me as well. So it's an easy pick and an easy kind of guilty pleasure, like you said. Um, it doesn't feature a ton of the supporting cast or other things that were really kind of emblematic of this era of the book. But you can't help but deny those John Romita senior pencils and and the crazy imagery you get from this. And, you know, it's, it's a tale, I think, that's pretty much unique to Spider-Man. Um, I think other books try this with, like, characters like Arcade and things like that. But to me, this is, like, the best of this kind of bunch of story. Yeah, and, and what also really sells this story to me, Dan, is, and, and this is totally a standism, is the idea that, you know, like this is the point in Spider-Man's history, obviously, where, you know, he's trying to make the character more likable. He's, he's kind of free from the from the uh, Randian uh, overtures of, of Dicko. And you kind of like you really feel for Peter here because he just wants to go out on a date with Gwen Stacy. And meanwhile, he's like basically like captured in this like amusement park from hell and like. 
you know, meanwhile, you kind of like you do cut away every once in a while this to Gwen. And it's like, where's Peter? And like as the reader, you're kind of like, oh, man, he's he's going to he's going to strike out with the chick because he's like messing around with Mysterio. It just seems so unfair. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great pick, Mark. Uh, let's move on to our number nine. Um, which might be a little controversial. Uh, it's a- Amazing Spider-Man, and I'm the one to announce this one. Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number One. That's the Ooh. first appearance <laughs> of the Sinister Six. Um, this one is like, I think, controversial not beyond, beyond the annual name because it is very much an art-heavy book. You know, you get these really big splash pages from Steve Dicko in this that kind of elevate this thing you know, over the top and really showed off the Sinister Six. But there's no doubting that, like, the creation of the Sinister Six themselves uh, by Stan and Steve was the first really big supervillain team that we got to see Spider-Man fight up against. And one of the first in Marvel history, even if they weren't very successful and wouldn't reappear again for 300-some issues. Right. Um, but uh, the Sinister Six kind of quickly, not quickly, but... They have now become a staple of Spider-Man comics and shows and movies, and everybody's trying to get their hands in the Sinister Six. And uh, this book is great. It's a lot of fun, and you get some great kind of like witty banter between like Aunt May and Doc Ock as their love triangle begins here. <laughs> uh, you know, or I guess it's not really a triangle, uh, so to speak. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I don't know who else is involved there. Uh, time will tell. The other thing that's important to note about this comic, Dan, is, um, I mean, you got this a little bit, obviously, in Spider-Man's debut solo issue, ASM number one, with with this fantastic four crossover. But this this is a comic, and this is obviously a stanism, uh, really sells the idea of the shared universe of Marvel. I mean, you know, to the point that it's almost kind of huckstery and how it does it. I mean, there's like the the first part of the comic is all these different uh, like tie-ins or not even tie-ins, but basically ads to like Thor and Captain, you know, Iron Man and the Avengers. I mean, like they're all just kind of like just passing through like, oh, hi. Oh, and read more about them in this comic. You know what I mean? So like, again, it's really pushing the shared universe idea. And I just think the the idea of the Sinister Six themselves as a villain supergroup, like it's, you know, typically... In comics up until this point, you know, a hero fought a villain, and that was the, that was the story for that comic. And here is an idea of, well, let's just bring all the villains together and, and see what happens. And it, it's kind of it's kind of revolutionary, and it really pushes the idea of the shared universe that everyone that shows up in Marvel comics can appear in any comic at any given time. What I kind of like about it too is that um, it's sort of a self mythologizing, like it's Stan and Steve already kind of ranking their villains as to what ones are their favorites. So you kind of already start seeing like who is a tier one villain and who is not, uh, you know, the sinister six are their favorites and these are going to be the rogues gallery from Spider-Man moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do we want to get to number eight on the list here, Dan? Yeah, this is one we talked about recently. It's spectacular Spider-Man magazine. Number two, although number one is also big in my heart. I think this is the real standout one. It's Osborn returning as the Green Goblin uh, after he kind of had forgotten that he was the Green Goblin um, to be reprinted much later on in the Amazing Spider-Man run. Mark, this one's really special, not just for its extended page count, but I think that the writing here really takes on a much deeper psychological level than we've kind of ever seen in a Stan comic before. 
Um, you know, issue one is very political, but this one really kind of like dives into the kind of like, uh, you know, Freudy, Jungian, whatever you want to call it, psychology that would define a lot of the villains for Spider-Man and really kind of prove that Peter is not the only interesting character in this series. Like the villains can be deeply troubled as, and psychologically built out as well. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely an art book too, similar to the annual. But like, I, I I do feel that the writing is much sharper here. There's much more going on. Like you said, the psychological effects. I mean, they they actually the writing really plays off some of Ramita's trippy art here. It's not just like you know stunning splash page after splash page like you got in the annual. I mean, there's a lot of head games going on in this comic book. Uh, and the art reflects that, and then the writing of, plays off the art. So it, it's, it's really a, a magical little bit of um, synergy between uh, Stan and Ramita here. Definitely just an underrated story in general while we're talking about it, right? I mean, like... It's kind of hard to read, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's hard to find it. And the, you have to kind of find it, and you and I just bought copies of this, but it's really something quite different when you read it in the magazine form as opposed to the later reprints of it because those pages work completely differently. And, you know, that was great on, on Stan to kind of push the format forward and, and, you know, imagine seeing Ramita's artwork in this way. It's something I kind of wish they would keep doing today. I, I love the large format of it. Definitely. We'll, we're going to go from large format back to uh, regular format and kind of a one and done, you know, in, a, in 20 pages or so story here. But a very historic one as our number seven pick. It's going to be Amazing Spider-Man number three, which, of course, uh, you all know as the first appearance of the Superior Spider-Man, a.k.a. Otto Octavius. <laughs> uh, you know, it's the first Doc Ock. And, and, and Dan, I mean, part of the reason why I definitely want to get this one on the list. I mean, you know, obviously Spider-Man's Rogues Gallery is a great one. Uh, probably second to Batman's or maybe even better than Batman's, depending on, you know, what kind of, you know, how you're feeling that day as a comic book fan. Um, but the thing is, like, when you actually look at the origin stories of Spider-Man's villains, I mean, a lot of those issues especially early on they're kind of silly um and i mean especially like the first green goblin for example which is this kind of you know spider-man gets tricked into shooting a movie uh and the green goblin shows up with the enforcers um but doc Ock, i mean this is this is a i find a very compelling origin story for a villain uh this is clearly a character that stan and and dicko uh, put a lot of value in. They knew that this was going to be kind of, if not the arch nemesis, you know, certainly one of the main nemesis for Spider-Man. I mean, it's it's all the way down to the fact that it's a villain ba- with eight 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 arms and appendages. You know, so you know it's kind of the, the you know sim- similar to a spider. You know, like it's it's it it just has everything. A man of science. We talked about the the compa- the similarities between Peter and Otto. Many, many times over back when we were reviewing the Superior Spider-Man. But, you know, it, it's we can talk about that because it all gets birthed out of this issue. Um, it's it's in it's just a very sensible villain origin. It's probably I, I, I would argue it's the best uh, villain origin, maybe next to Venom that we ever got in a Spider-Man comic. That's a really great point. And I kind of wanted to add to that, that. This is the first issue, I think, like that's a full issue that's not split into two stories. 
that really, um, I think, nailed down what the standard format for a Spider-Man story would be. You know, it's like the Peter and his kind of life, you know, in, in, in and out of costume. And he goes up against a villain, loses, and has to come back and uh, beat him again with some kind of ingenious invention or new tactic. And, um, you know, the Vulture kind of did that, but the, it was a shorter story that was split into, you know, uh, in that issue. And so, for me, Amazing Spider-Man 3 is like a prototypical issue of Spider-Man and just happens to feature an incredible villain as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, speaking of going back over familiar territory, why don't you tell everyone what our next pick is, Dan? Yeah, our next pick is Amazing Spider-Man 96 to 98. If you've listened to season two, you'll remember those as the the kind of comic code breaking issues where uh, Harry Osborn is doing LSD and Norman Osborn kind of relapses back into the Green Goblin. Um, I mean, I think this is, these issues are important you know, on a societal level, you know, like what what Stan Lee was doing, not only to make a statement about drugs and to kind of push back against the strict confines of the comics code that would change comics forever, um, but it's also a really standout story uh, involving the Green Goblin and one of the better stories involving that character and adding kind of like com- complexity to Spider-Man's supporting cast who often didn't really have a lot going on in their lives other than how they related to Peter. They kind of, Harry kind of is given a life all of his own here. Um, that is very interesting and I think has l- impacted the character long term. Um, so an exciting uh, series of issues uh, here on this list. Yeah, and plus you get Peter in a gold chain, which I mean, when 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 can you not, like how can you say no to that in a, in a list like this? I mean, gold chain with like a nice vest, Peter. Looks like uh, he looked like Aladdin. (laughs) Um, But no, I mean seriously. I mean, like this is this is an example of Stan, the 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 pioneer, the trailblazer. I mean, he was asked by uh, the federal government to do these kinds of uh, stories to kind of push this envelope a bit. I mean, you know, obviously we could talk about the Stan. Did Stan kind of? overstate his you know the mythology of how this all came to be it doesn't ultimately matter the fact is he did it it broke the mold it set a new standard uh and like you said i mean you you put aside the drug issues and the whole comic code and how much drugs are featured and you know the message of it it's just a good spider-man story it's a good spider-man green goblin story that plays up the supporting cast so what's not to love yeah absolutely similar to our Spectacular Spider-Man magazine pick, but both have their own unique virtues um, to recommend. Definitely. Yeah, this was actually, if you go all the way back in time to our Essential series, Dan, uh, this was one of my picks. It's Amazing Spider-Man number 17 to 19, uh, three-part storyline, also known as The Return of Spider-Man. I like to refer to it as it's the original Spider-Man no more. Uh, because this is, uh, it's kind of a half, half assed attempt. Can I say half assed, Dan? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Happy holidays, Happy everyone. holidays. I, I kind of swore. It's, it's kind of a bad attempt by Peter to quit because he's like, within the same issue, like fighting again in costume as Spider-Man. But, uh, you know, the, 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 the TLDR version of the story is, and while fighting the Green Goblin at the Spider-Man fan club, uh, inaugural meetup. 
Peter gets bad news about Aunt May. He runs out. Everyone thinks he's a coward. Uh, he's just ready to hang it up because, you know, nothing ever works out as him, as Spider-Man, you know, even, you know, the only one who's standing by him apparently is Flash Thompson, which is just kind of wacky. You know, then we get some appearances from the Sandman. I mean, it's just all this different stuff, but it kind of sets up this ongoing storyline that always seems to come up at inopportune times for Peter, which is this idea that Spider-Man is a burden, not you know, this he's an unwilling superhero, and it's and it's only because of you know the lesson he learned from the death of Uncle Ben that he still finds a way to kind of just muddle through and 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 live up to his responsibility. You know, that idea of the unwilling hero is just so unique for its time, and and this is this is the comic book story that really sells the idea that Peter, if it, if if all things were equal, would just walk away from this, but he knows he can't. Uh, that that he there is a higher purpose to this, and that he has to do good because of his powers. And plus, it also has probably one of my favorite Peter Aunt May scenes uh, that we got during this run. I mean, they really you know you wouldn't get really quality Aunt May again until the J. Michael Straczynski arc. I know uh, you know with the with the character when when she kind of you know as she's recovering from one of her many near fatal illnesses tells peter that parkers have gumption and you know like we, we you gotta just keep fighting through and it gets it ends up getting referenced in amazing and uh, not amazing spider-man 2 in the raimi second sam raimi spider-man movie uh in that great scene in the backyard when they're kind of like packing up aunt may's house and uh i think that alone kind of shows the the merits of this story absolutely and beyond aunt may this is a great story for the rest of spider-man supporting cast there's a lot of like you know love triangle drama going on here and you've got a lot of kind of different storylines with his supporting cast that really kind of steps it up into a new stratosphere for for the series um especially you know stringing a bunch of the stories across a three issue arc uh i think it's really unique and on a personal level uh the sandman cover issue is my best looking uh stan uh, stanley steve dicko issue i have an 8.0 a copy of that one. So, oh my goodness, that's amazing! I, I know. I, it's, it, I'm very proud of of that issue. So, yeah. uh, it's a favorite of mine. Yeah, and to that point, what you just said about the characters. So this is 18, I believe, is the first appearance of Ned Leeds. So, yeah, I mean, that just shows, and that's like kind of sets off the Betty Brant, uh, Ned Leeds, Peter Parker tr- love triangle. So, like you said, a lot going on from a character standpoint. I mean, it just goes to show it was more about. It wasn't just about superheroics. I, I, it's funny. I, I was just in the store the other day, and they had a copy of this number eighteen with, and it said first Ned Leeds on it, and I, I couldn't believe that they were that specific <laughs> to advertise it that way. It's the first Hobgoblin, or no, <laughs> <laughs> the first Ganky. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Um, All right, uh, Mark, we've got our number four on the list, uh, which I'll tell everybody about, and I don't think they need it to be introduced, really. It's Amazing Spider-Man 39 and 40, the kind of, you know, how green is your goblin storyline, the the Spider-Man unmasked origin of the green goblin. Is that the one that I'm thinking of, how green is your goblin? Um, it, it, possibly. <laughs> I, maybe issue for it. Whatever. We all know it as Spider-Man Unmasked and the origin of the Green Goblin. This yes. is the start of 
John Romita Sr.'s uh, run on the book, and you know, you've got his incredible artwork, but Stan Lee is really delivering on, I think, what is the, one of the most exciting status quo changes for the character, having a villain that knows his identity with a compelling backstory and the kind of danger taken to a level that it never was at before in this comic. These are unforgettable issues, uh, you know, across the board, but really it's it stands writing that really kind of brings the danger in a whole new way in these issues. And, uh, and Norman Osborn out of nowhere suddenly becomes the most compelling villain in Spider-Man's rogues gallery. Yeah. He very quickly supplants Doc Ock in this issue. I mean, this is like you said, there's nothing that can, nothing really that can be said in terms of superlatives about this comic. I mean, this, this is one of the greatest Spider-Man comics of all time on question. I mean, again, the art kind of sells it uh, a bit in terms of these are the first two Ramita issues, and you know we've we've talked at length in seasons one and two about the whole Green Goblin identity mystery and how that ultimately got resolved and what was right, what was wrong, what did Dicko want, whatever. It worked out, you know. <laughs> I mean, what 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 ended up being executed here ended up being the right thing in the long term, and and you just I, I feel like you can't do any top ten lists uh, involving Spider Man without talking about these two issues. Well, speaking of which. Yeah. Our number three, Mark. Why don't you tell us about our number three? Yeah, although I think there might be some people that kind of like, you know, kind of go oh, in disbelief when we say this is only number three. I mean, just to give people a taste of how great it is, and I'll explain why it's only number three. Uh, it is Amazing Spider-Man's number thirty-one to thirty-three, aka the Master Plan or trilogy. If this be my destiny, call it whatever you want. Uh, at the end of the day, it's Spider-Man lifting tons and tons of steel uh, over his head and freeing himself to save the day. Probably one of the most dramatic and referenced moments in Spider-Man history. And I think that's precisely why we're only putting it at number three, because the moment everyone remembers is clearly a moment that was designed by Steve Dicko, the artist, right? <laughs> yeah, but that would really be giving short shrift to Stan Lee's work in that scene too, because it's the dialogue that really kind of hammers it home that extra level. You know, like I think again, speaking to the power team that Stan and Steve were, if you remove one or the other, it wouldn't work. Well, obviously it wouldn't work, but I think this scene really is as powerful as it is because it's got Stan Lee's dialogue over Steve Ditko's artwork like it just takes it to another level and you get all the you know the hemming and hawing in his mind about you know thinking about giving up and how he's going to overcome and 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 it's it's the dialogue that really elevates it I, I don't know how else to put it but not only that like these three issues are really fun writing on, on another level I mean the mystery of who the master planner is and all of the you know the daring dudes around New York City. I mean, people like to look at the lifting sequence as well they should, but there's so much around it that's also fabulous. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I wasn't trying to the short short change it in the beginning there, but yeah, I mean, like like, like I said, I mean, I think everyone always kind of gravitates to the visuals of it, but um, Stan's script is what brings it home. So that's that's why it's only number three, but it's number three, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, I think I think what we put ahead of it are also two really great stories. And why don't you tell them what number two is? <laughs> yeah, number two is I think my favorite Spider-Man story, uh, just on a personal level. 
It's Amazing Spider-Man number 50, Spider-Man No More, introduction of the Kingpin, but more famously, like, the real time that Spider-Man gave up being Spider-Man, even though by the end of the issue he's back in the costume again. But basically, it's like the plot of Spider-Man 2, the movie, for a large you know, part of it. I guess it's that combined with Amazing Spider-Man number 3. But um, to me, this issue is like the heart of like why we like Spider-Man comics. It's about how Peter balances his own life against the role as Spider-Man and the power that responsibility kind of plays in his life and, and the guilt he feels around the error that he made. It's all so encapsulated here. And there's not really even a need for a villain like Kingpin. It's, it's a story about Peter dealing with what it means to be Spider-Man. Yeah, I mean, I, I always kind of view this comic as the love story to power and responsibility, if you will. You know what I mean? Like, this is, this is, there is no other comic out there in Spider-Man history that I feel truly hones in on Peter's mantra and what drives him. Um, and, you know, and does that by kind of turning the idea on its ear by suggesting that he is ready to, to step away. Um, and there's just something about it in the way it's it's executed in this issue where you actually kind of believe he's going to walk away this time because it kind of just feels right for him to do it. Like it's just, you know, nothing is working out, which always seems to be the case for Peter. But like, you know, you get the sense that things really could work out for him as Peter, which had never really been explored before. Like, you know, things are going better in his life now that, you know, he's been freed of the reins of Steve Ditko. <laughs> and people actually <laughs> and people actually like Peter uh, in the comics. So um, I think that's kind of what sells this as a, as a potential, you know, distraction or, or destruction of, of the Spider-Man character. So uh, I, I always say that this is Stan at his schmaltziest, which I think is a good thing for Stanley. <laughs> I like I like Schmaltzy Stanley. Um, it's just it's just a wonderful way to to kind of celebrate the Spider-Man character. And like I said, the you know Kingpin shows up for a couple of panels, but this is not a Kingpin story. This is strictly a Spider-Man slash Peter story. Absolutely, and I think moving on to number one, there there could be no other comic to occupy this spot. Mark, what is our number one? Yeah, I mean, hot take here, Dan. We're actually not picking an issue of Amazing Spider-Man as our number one pick of a Spider-Man story. That's because we're picking <laughs> we're picking Amazing Fantasy number 15, The Origin. I still say it's the greatest superhero origin of all time. Uh, I dare you to tell me otherwise and convince me. I mean, Dan, are you going to try and convince me on, on, on this podcast right now? I don't think on a Spider-Man show that I co-host, I'm going to be convincing you of that. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, maybe you really like, uh, you know, Tony Stark. I mean, that's a good, that's a good origin too, but uh, this is the best. <laughs> it, is, it absolutely is the best and, you know, like always copied but never better than how it's done here. 11 pages of brilliance, you know, like what, I mean, the art carries it, but the words and great power, great responsibility comes out of this book. And that is a hundred percent Stan and no one can ever take that away from him. Like this book has so many memorable moments. I'd say every moment of it is memorable. Um, and so much of it is in the joyful writing and, and incredible, uh, you know, imagery. There's, I don't know. There's, there's there's nothing to say about this issue because we've said it all a million times before. It's Amazing Fantasy 15. 
you you know it's the best thing ever. Right. I mean, if, I think if that was not the top of our list, we might lose our podcasting license for this for the show. So. <laughs> iTunes would just like they have a program in place to just boot any podcast that tries <laughs> to refute this statement. Yes, delete your account. Uh, <laughs> well, obviously, if if any of you out there have any quibbling with our list, we, we'd love to hear from you. Or, or maybe you want to tell us that we got it exactly right. I always like to hear we got something exactly right, Dan. So I, 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 I not that I don't welcome that. So um, I want to want to make that clear. Uh, <laughs> so let us know. Don't spend your holiday season in anger writing to us, though. Like. <laughs> I would just say that. Um, Well, yeah, so this was a lot of fun, Mark. Uh, I love these kind of off-the-cuff holiday episodes that we do. I think this one certainly had a little more weight to it than our Stegron one last year. Wait, Dan, hold on a second. I I think we got a special guest coming in. Hello. This is Stegron, the dinosaur man. You didn't invite me on your show this year, and Mother was very upset. (laughs) I just sat here in my chair and said nothing as the two of you talked and talked. Mother would not have been happy if I said anything, but I guess I'll wish you all a happy holidays, and then I'll go die again. Well, there you go, Dan. So thanks for joining us for this episode of the all-new Amazing Spire Talk. Um, besides, uh, you know, being stuck in the La Brea Tower Pits, Dan, what else is coming down for us down the pike in the future? Yeah, well, shortly from now, we're going to be announcing our plans for Season 3 of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk in a short episode coming, well, shortly to your podcast feed. Mark, I can't wait to get started on this new season, and I hope you guys are excited about it at home, too. So keep your ears attuned and eyes open for that new show, kind of laying out what you should expect. Also, for our Patreon subscribers, be sure to check out our Patreon page and your podcast feed this week, where we've already got special reviews of the entire Nick Spencer run up through issue 11, and a roundup review of all the various Spider-Geddon books. Why wait to get caught up in a few months? Come on, just do it now for three ninety nine a month, the price of a new comic. You'll get access to our exclusive new issue reviews, B-book reviews, extended interviews, mailbags, maybe Stegron and Swarm. I don't know. Dan won't be laughing if they're not on our show. Also, for $10 or more a month, get access to some awesome commission artwork, this time from Steve Lieber, who probably could draw Swarm and Stegron better than us. And maybe we'll throw in a bagel. I mean, why not? Also, check out the Untold Talks of Spider-Man. It's the holiday season. They're talking about holiday comics. What's better than that, other than this show? I don't know if this is even better than that. Just check them out. Yeah, I mean, Into the Spider-Verse might be better than us, too, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm almost sure that that's better than us. Go see that movie. Plus, we've also got the amazing Spider-Slack community for you to join Just check out this episode's description for a link to join our Spider-Man talking community, where we're talking a lot about Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, so so speaking of which, Dan, uh, in terms of where we can find your work, uh, I've heard you've written a couple of things recently that uh, some of our fans might be interested in hearing or or reading. Yeah, well, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at at SupSpiderTalk, but there you can find I wrote all these pieces for the Hollywood Reporter about... 
uh, Into the Spider-Verse, most notably my breakdown of all of the Easter eggs and references in uh, the movie, which I was told is the longest piece that The Hollywood Reporter has ever published, and it's also turned out to be quite popular. So go check it out. I'm bragging because I'm really excited about this piece. You, you are entitled to brag. It's an amazing piece, Dan. I mean, they're all amazing, but you're, all your work is amazing, I should say. But uh, this you really kind of outdid yourself with that list, man. I'm really excited about it. Thank you, Mark. That's very kind of you to say. Mark, you've written a ton of amazing stuff. Where will we find that on the internet? Well, of course, you can find me on Twitter, at ChasingASMblog, and... For some something about Spider-Man that's only a little bit longer than your your list for Hollywood Reporter, you could buy my book. One hundred things <laughs> Spider-Man. One hundred things Spider-Man fans should know and do before they die. Uh, get it before the holiday rush, if there is such a thing. <laughs> I hope people are listening to this and they woke up on Christmas Day with that book under the tree. Ah, right. Or or they could just read your Easter egg list and get probably the same kind of reading experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thanks again, everybody. I hope you guys have a happy holiday and a happy new year. Mark, we're going to ring in the new year with our favorite motto, which is... With great podcasts must also come the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment. That's what mother said. <laughs>